talking about the football game, uh, there's always next year. Uh, we, uh, we didn't win. Um, Roxanne says she will play for us next year. That is the missing piece, okay? So, Roxanne, thank you for playing in a football team next year. You will help us. Uh, we need that. Okay, yeah, that'd be great. Um, yeah. If you want to hear excuses about why we lost, we'll talk to that later. Um, but uh, it was, um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Thanks for being so nice to Dan Jackson. Um, he appreciated your kindness. And uh, uh, he uh, said, you know, seems like things are going well there. Uh, so that's good. Uh, uh, thanks for showing a good face uh, to them to make sure that we're okay. And, uh, no, appreciate that. Well, it's December, right? So do you have it? Right? Do you have it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, there's music in the, in the supermarket about it. You know, I hear it pumped in, you know, usually at Woodman's I'm hearing, you know, 80s, 80s music. But then something happens December 1st that Christmas music gets pumped in. I'm like, oh, this is different now. Okay. You get it from mail from your friends. You know, their Christmas cards. Everyone looks happy and smiling and the best picture they can take. And uh, you get it in the mail. Uh, decorations outside people's homes. Clothes that people wear. I mean, do you have it? What they're showing? Someone said it. Christmas spirit, right? That's right. Do you have Christmas spirit? I don't know what what is Christmas spirit. It seems to be this ethereal, ambiguous thing out there. Uh, I guess I see it sometimes in Christmas movies. Is it you know contentment in all situations, like it's a wonderful life? Is that is that what Christmas spirit is? Is it uh, being kind and being generous, like uh, Dickens' A Christmas Carol? Is it um, rescuing hostages from Nakantomi Plaza, like in Die Hard? Is it that? Is that the Christmas spirit? I just want to know. I mean, is that it? Well, I think today, as we look at this passage, we are going to see in the prophet one that exudes what we're going to call the Christmas spirit. And you might be asking, how can, after reading this, as we look at this passage in Habakkuk, how can this be the Christmas spirit? Well, I think the Christmas spirit is more than just a feeling of eggnog <laughs> after drinking it, or anticipation for that pair of socks you've always wanted. <laughs> I think Habakkuk shows the ambiguity of what the Christmas spirit is. What is it concretely? Now I'm going to argue, you know, because it is kind of an ambiguous thing when we say Christmas spirit. I think the season of Advent should exude this in us. A spirit of one that longs. A spirit that persists. A spirit that trusts. I think that is an attitude that Habakkuk shows. And I think is one that maybe we should see. Do we really have what we should have as we are entering this season of Longing anticipation of Christ coming. So if you're there, you can look on page 785 in those black Bibles, or it's also printed in your worship guide. 
the book of Habakkuk. I'm going to pronounce it that way. If uh, you have a problem with that, rather than Habakkuk, some people say, or whatever, but I'm going to say Habakkuk. And uh, we are going to be in chapter 1. Again, uh, with the prophets, a lot of poetic um, language. If you feel like closing your eyes and hearing it that way, you can. Uh, But let's pay attention as we read God's word. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like, um, then, then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to, than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever the word of the lord let's pray god this is your word this is your prophet habakkuk speaking to israel speaking to us let us hear it let it transform us by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Oh man, Habakkuk, what is this guy doing? I don't know how many of you guys have heard a sermon in Habakkuk before. Probably very few of us. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but kind of the philosophy of our church and who we are is that we kind of believe that all Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, and what we need to be complete in the Lord. Now that's not me saying that, that's from Second Timothy, so um, but we believe that as a church, all of Scripture, even the book of Habakkuk, and I don't know if you know this. What we've done as a church is um, 
we kind of separate the year in kind of three sections, um, kind of way American society works. There's like the fall semester, the spring semester, and then the summer. That's kind of how I've done things. And uh, we've taken different genres in those different seasons from when we started almost two years ago. So we started in the gospel as a genre in the book of Mark. Then we looked at the historical books, which is a genre, and that is the book of Judges. Then we looked at the epistles, First uh, Peter, Philemon, and Jude. And then we looked at some wisdom literature, the book of Proverbs. And now we are in the minor prophets for this fall as we've looked at Jonah and Nahum and then Habakkuk. And then as we start a new year, almost in the second year of the church, we're going to go back to the Gospels and we'll go to the book of Luke. Now, I like doing this. I like it because the Bible has different styles, and um, it's kind of fun. It keeps us on our toes, but also it gives us a fuller picture of the, I think, the seamless message that's all through the scriptures. It's God's rescue story for the world. And I don't care if you're reading Habakkuk or you're reading a book like Mark, that is the message that is communicated. And I think different styles, whether poetry or wisdom literature or history or narrative or the Gospels, they can give us that clear picture. Now, the picture through a book of Habakkuk. Well, Dan, at least if it's Christmas time, could you at least do something more Christmassy, you know? Um, why this? I mean, maybe, uh, you know, Luke chapter 1 and 2 or something like that. You're going to that. Why not now? Well, I think... Habakkuk is Christmassy, okay, if you will, if you, is that such a word. Um, it is um, Advent, um, because I think the prophets are people that long. Uh, it, we were just talking about Handel's Messiah just earlier. Um, I mean, if you listen to Handel's Messiah, a lot of it comes from the book of Isaiah. If we read scriptures this morning, you know, if you hear Christmas um, scriptures, a lot of them come from the prophets, like Isaiah, this anticipation of Christ coming. So the prophets are the ones that long for a Savior. And they do it out of angst, a lot of angst, because um, they are usually the prophets are all written in a time of trouble, a time where Israel is under oppression from other nations, that people are actually longing for a Savior to come a Messiah to come to rescue them from this place. So I believe that the minor prophets, like a book like Habakkuk, speak to that longing that is in Christmas. A longing for a Savior. One Emmanuel to come and dwell among us. And I think as we look at Habakkuk, we're going to see that very longing that is talked about at Christmas time. Well, so let's look together, shall we, at this book, and we're going to look at it for the next few weeks. Today we're just looking at chapter 1. Uh, you know, you don't have it in your worship guide, but if you um, would see it in, uh, you know, looking at the Bible, they have these nice little paragraph um, headings and that help understand it a little bit more. That doesn't come from the original. Those are editors putting it in. But this is a dialogue, Okay. It's a dialogue that goes one through four, Habakkuk, this prophet talking, and then in five through eleven, the Lord talking, and then from verses twelve to seventeen, Habakkuk talking again. So it's a conversation between two people. And here, Habakkuk is writing fifty years after the book of Nahum that we just read, and he's writing it from the southern kingdom of Judah. Because we know that Israel, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, have already been destroyed taken away by Assyria, 
and plundered. And all that's left is these two tribes in Judah. And it is not going well in Judah at this time. Okay? And in verses 2 through 4, Habakkuk is talking about the troubles that are happening in Judah. What's happened is this king, Josiah, who was a great king, who feared the Lord and followed him, has been killed. And now his wicked son, Jehoiakim, is now ruling over Judah. And he is not a good person. And a lot of people are following his wicked ways. And you just get a glimpse of it in what Habakkuk is saying in verse 4. He says, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. That word justice is not very strong word. It just kind of means evil. Um, evil is what is happening um, in this time. And so um, what's happening here is that the law uh, is not even being followed. Um, the people are doing evil things. And here Habakkuk, the prophet, is saying, God, do something. Bad things are happening in Judah. Do something. And he asks questions of God, doesn't he? Do you hear? Will you not save? Why do you idly look at wrong? Here's a prophet Asking God some tough questions because he sees that this nation is not doing well. His own nation, Judah. I don't know, maybe some of you are taken aback by someone in Scripture questioning God in this way. How can someone talk to God like that? Come on. I mean, I'm an eat your Brussels sprouts and like it kind of person, right? I'm not complaining. I'm not talking back. If there's something that I have to deal with, I deal with it and I don't complain. But here Habakkuk is complaining. But you see how he does it. He's not blogging about it. <laughs> He's not tweeting about it. Here's my 140 characters. This is what's going on. He's not telling everyone about it. He's praying to God. He's praying and in conversation with God about what's happening. You know, I think Christmas is about hope. Christmas is about a longing. A longing for God to save. A longing for God to enter in. If we are not like Habakkuk, in a way of saying, God... This world is messed up. <laughs> this world has problems. We are not living the spirit of Christmas. To say, Christ, come, O come, O come, Emmanuel, is saying, God, you need to enter into a place that is not going the way it's supposed to. I think that's, that's, that's hard for Wisconsinites. Um, we're the, um, you know, this is the weather, grin and bear it, okay? Just deal with it. You know, we're good Germans and Norwegians. You know, we don't complain, we work hard. But the thing is, we need to look at brokenness and call it out. We need to long after what this world should be. 
My fear is many times this kind of Norwegian or German spirit or Wisconsin spirit or whatever it is, you know, don't long, just get what you want and just go for it and this, this is what you have. Can many times look, at, look past abuses that are happening? Alcoholism. Abuse in marriages. Abuse when it comes to people in our own families. Marital strife. Materialism. Racial divides. Do we actually look at the brokenness that's around us in our own lives and what we're facing in our own families? And do we pray to God, how long? Are you going to do something here? This is not the way it should be. This needs to be different. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, into this situation, into this problem. I ask you and I long for you to come. I will pray like Habakkuk does. Do you hear? Will you not save? Why do you idly look at wrong? My first job out of seminary was horrible. It was bad. But this is how I looked at it. It's a job. Someone gave me a job. Okay? Great. Okay? I just need some money. I need to provide for my new two kids. You know? My wife. I need something. And these people gave me a job. Okay? So I grinned and I bared it. Um, my wife, um, all the other hand, saw the reality of what was coming out of me by grinning and bearing it. I was a frustrating person to be around. I was depressed. Uh, I was not, uh, <laughs> not a good husband at that time. It was not good. I sought Christian counsel, and I, I remember the counsel I got... You know, he's you know explaining the situation where I was facing in the workplace. You know, is it, do you realize that you're in an, an unjust situation? No, I have a job. I can't complain about it. I'm not asking you to complain at work. I'm just asking you: Do you realize it's unjust that it's hard? Uh, not really. <laughs> and then it, a, a great prescription came. Have you ever thought about praying to God about your unjust situation? I mean, I'm a pastor, okay, and this is a pastor telling me. Have you ever thought about praying to God about your situation? Um, not really. You need to spend a day. And you should get out. So I got out hiking, and that's what you do in Colorado. You just hike, right? That's, but just a day of silence hiking and just saying, God, this is a hard situation. And praying the prayers of Habakkuk. Do you hear? Will you not save? Why do you idly look at wrong? Do you pray that? Do you really pray to God about your unjust situation? Do you really cry out to Him? It's a revolutionary idea, isn't it? I mean, okay, the pastor told me to pray. Oh, well, wow, that's so new. But the thing is, do you really look at the injustice that's around you? The things that you're facing? And I'm not telling you to complain about it with your spouse. 
I'm not asking you to tell others, oh, look how bad I have it. I'm asking you to go to God and pray, God, do you hear me? Will you save me? Will you not do something different? I remember in that prayer to God, I don't think God's ever talked to me audibly. I definitely have kind of those kind of things that wrestle in my spirit, I guess you could say. And I remember God saying to me in those moments in that walk, it was, wait upon me and you will see something mighty happen in this situation. Well, let's see how God responds to um, Habakkuk, okay? Verse 5. This is what God says in return. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you will not believe if told. Look, see, be astonished, wonder. God is answering Habakkuk. He is saying, I will not stand by oddly. I will answer you in a mighty way. I mean, hearing those first few, few words, Habakkuk must be like, yes, good, you're doing something. But then God goes on. Oh, God. And he says this, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Now, at this point, Habakkuk is going, what? You see, we were reading in Nahum about this great nation of Assyria, right? And their judgment on this great city in Assyria, Nineveh, by this rising nation called Babylon. And Babylon is also equal to the Chaldeans. That is referenced right here. That's the same nation. And you see, the Assyrians, who were brutal in of themselves, are now being taken down by another brutal nation, the Babylonians. And here's what God is saying. Um, hey, Habakkuk, I'm going to answer the injustice that's happening in Judah, in your own nation. And you know how I'm going to answer it? I'm going to have this brutal nation of Babylon not just take out Assyria, but they're going to take out you too. Oh, my word. What would that prophet be thinking? He's also going to take out his own nation with these brutal people. How brutal are they? Let's just get a glimpse here. Verse 11. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Who do they worship? Their power. Their might. Their warrior spirit. And what are they going to do? They're not just going to beat down Judah. They're going to carry them off. Now, you can see that uh, Habakkuk responds. This is a good dialogue back and forth, okay? God gives this solution for how he's going to answer the problem. And here uh, Habakkuk responds back to God in verse 12. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord my God, my Holy One. It's a lot in this very verse here. Nowhere in Scripture... Does anyone question God's everlasting, infinite nature? Only here does it happen. Here the prophet is saying, God, are you 
infinite? Are you even powerful? Are you even having a plan that will last? You just are going to die out because obviously you're not in power if Babylon is coming to destroy this very nation that no tribe is left. We're done. It's over. Your covenant people are going to be wiped out. Are you even God? But the juxtaposition is powerful. Are you not from everlasting, O Yahweh, my God, my Holy One? The things that are combined here are powerful. As much as he doubts, as much as Habakkuk questions, never, ever in this whole book do we see him stopping to follow God. He never stops to follow him. He might doubt. He might question. But never does he stop following God. He persists, even when he does not understand. I think the pendulum can move in two ways with um, with looking at uh, a God. One can be, oh, God, you just, what you have is, well, take it. I'm going to eat my Brussels sprouts. Great. I'm not going to long for anything more, ask for anything more. That's one area of the pendulum. The other side of the pendulum is this. It's kind of more the modern kind of enlightenment view that, God, um, if this happens in our world, I don't think you exist. <laughs> I don't think you are truly God. Um, here's the thing. In being God... This just kind of goes with being God. Um, God does things that we don't understand because he can see things eternally in ways that we cannot ourselves. Example, when my daughter says, why can't I touch the hot stove? And I say, because you can't, because it will burn you. And she says, what's burn? What does that mean? I don't start to negotiate with her about this and say, oh, yeah, let's figure it out. No. As much as she doesn't understand it, I still say, don't do it. I understand why you shouldn't. That's all that matters, because I'm your father. You know, the great thing about kids is usually (laughs) they they will respond, yeah, your dad, I trust you that you know what's best, even if I don't understand it, and I will follow you. Good thing we all do that about God, right? same kind of relationship? No, we don't. Tim Keller, there's some good historical study here on this passage, and I really appreciate his his understanding here. We don't see eternally what God is doing. But now that we're past history in this moment, we can maybe see God's reasoning for dispersing the Jews. Uh, the diaspora, okay? Basically the Jews going throughout the world because they've been conquered by Babylon. You know, the Jews had to go now to parts of Asia Minor and now to parts of um, what became the Roman world. They were spread all about uh, because of what happened here by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And as uh, history went on, Gentiles, non-Jews, that lived in the places where the Jews came, many of them got intrigued by this 
Jewish way of thinking of the world and of God. And many God-fearers, which were Gentiles that started to go to synagogue and listen to the Jews, became the foundation of the Christian world. Do you know that? So when Paul came and uh, missionaries came to Rome and to um, Asia Minor and Galatia and all these places, they went to the synagogues first. And you know who some of the early people were that followed Christ? Were these Gentile God-fearers. And Rodney Stark makes his argument a sociologist, but the reason that Christianity took off so much is because these God-fearers that were in these towns had a basic nature of this God of Yahweh and then became Christians, and that came the movement in Rome that then became the church, became the number one religion in the Roman Empire. Could God had a reason for taking the Jews out of Judah to be dispersed through the world so that, that his message would then come into full fruition when Christ came and the message went to missionaries that he would take these people and they would lead? Could God have had a reason for that that the people at that time did not see? Absolutely. So what did God say to me? Just wait. Wait upon me. And a powerful thing will happen. You know what powerful thing God gave me? I got laid off from my job. Really, God? Just a few months later? I go and spend time with you. I pray. And you lay me off. That's how you answer me? That's what you give me? I don't know if you've ever been in that low, low spot before. I remember in that low spot, there's just things, you know, you just cry out crazy things to God at that point. Where I say things to God like, God, you have the bread of life. Where else can I go? You've shown me that I make a mess of my life when I try to do it myself. I have nowhere else to go but you. You've screwed me here in this situation. Sorry, that's harsh language. Can I say that, church? Okay. You've, you've made it bad for me in this situation. But where else can I go? I will persist with you. Let me tell you, the Christmas spirit will come and go. You know, when a credit card pill comes in January, you don't feel so good, you know? Whatever it might be, this just comes and goes. And what Habakkuk is showing with the spirit that we should have for God, that we should have now, is powerful. O. Palmer Robertson, he has a great commentary in Habakkuk, and I think he summarizes the whole message of Habakkuk in this statement. If you want to write anything down, this is probably the thing you write down. It's not my words. It's Obama Robertson's. I wish I could say I had this original thought. I don't. But he says this about Habakkuk and the message. The message of Habakkuk is this. A matured faith trusts humbly but persistently in God's design for establishing righteousness in the earth. A matured faith trusts humbly 
but persistently in God's design for establishing righteousness in the earth. Trust me, I'm not saying I arrived at that point. All I, I'm just saying, as you grow in your relationship with God, and when hard things happen, you can persist even when it's very difficult. Alfred Delt um, wrote, uh, he's a Jesuit priest, and he was writing um, about Advent. And this is what he said about Advent and what Advent people would look like. And he said this. He said, The world today needs people who have been shaken by ultimate calamities and emerge from them with the knowledge and awareness that those who look to the Lord will still be preserved by Him, even if they are hounded from the earth. He wrote this just a few weeks before he was hung by the Nazis. He wrote this in jail in a Nazi prison camp, weeks before he was hung. The world today needs people who have been shaken by ultimate calamities and emerge from them with the knowledge and awareness that those who look to the Lord will still be preserved by him, even if they are hounded from the earth. Christian, we don't need more cheerleaders in the church. We don't need more conference speakers. We don't need more Christian books. We don't need more Christian celebrities. We need people that can weather the storm of this, this life with humility, with persistence of faith, that can look at people in this church when they lose a child, when they're in so much debt they don't know how to breathe. When they have children that are straying so far away, when they have parents that are dying, that they can look at them and say, persist in me, with me, because I have seen what the life looks like in persisting in Christ, because he will give you something this world can never give. That's what we need. We don't need, oh yeah, it's Christmas spirit. Here. Have some nice Christmas bread. <laughs> Have some toys. There is so much more. It blows my mind that the world looks at Christmas in this way when what we po point to is what Christmas is in the church is a humble boy born in a stable in humility with no home for his parents to have birth to this kid. That that is what we hold up as the right life. And we still keep on buying things. I just, I just, I don't get it. As we go, I mean, the first chapter of back is pretty depressing. <laughs> And as you see how Habakkuk speaks to God about the Babylonians and what he'll do, he is persisting in God, but he is freaked about what is going to happen. And I, I really wonder, in reading a book like Habakkuk, Habakkuk, can you really live like this? 
can you really trust God? I mean, I would feel like you, this is time to throw in the towel, okay? Now, this is the message that God has said he's going to, how he's going to save his people by bringing Babylon in to destroy them, Judah and carry them off. You would think he would just throw in the towel. What if I told you this? There is one that was greater than Habakkuk. Do you know there was another person that also longed for Israel to change? (laughs) That longed for wicked hearts to be changed? That called out to God, "What this wicked generation, will you do something to them? You know, there was a guy that did that. You know that? You know how God responded to him? Okay, yeah. Um, I'll give you violence for your response. I won't have Babylon destroy you. I'll have Rome kill you. I'll have them execute you and put you on a cross so everyone will see your shame. As much as Christ cried out in the cross, saying, God, God, why have you forsaken me? He persisted. He believed that his father had a plan. Can you not trust a God that has endured the pain of this world? That he has also cried out and also persisted in faith, in trust in what his father would do for him. You see, God doesn't just leave us and say, oh yeah, here, take it. He took it himself. That's a God I can trust. That's a message that's different than any other religion. You know, the Christian spirit is not just about full stockings, a nice watch, and great feelings. You know, the Christian spirit changes us. It changes individuals. It changes families. It can change our country. Two weeks ago, an African-American penned a Habakkuk kind of dialogue. Penned it on his Facebook page. His name was Benjamin Watson. And Benjamin Watson was talking about what he saw among his people and what was happening in Ferguson. Ferguson, Missouri, this this horrible case and this horrible situation where much racial tension and conflict between police officers and between the African-American community are happening. And this Benjamin Watson, an NFL player, actually wrote this letter, this open letter, much kind of like a Habakkuk kind of thing. And he said this, please, I know it's a reading, so try to pay attention as I read it. He says this, uh, one of longing and persistence and trust. I'm angry because the stories of injustice that have been passed down for generations seem to be continuing before our very eyes. I'm fearful because in the back of my mind, I know that although I'm a law-abiding citizen, I can still be looked upon as a threat to those who do not know me. So I will continue to have to go the extra mile to earn the benefit of the doubt. I'm embarrassed because the looting, violent protests, and law breaking only confirm 
and in the minds of many validate the stereotypes and thus the inferior treatment. I'm sad because another young life was lost from his family. The racial divide has widened. A community is in shambles. Accusations, insensitivity, hurt, and hatred are boiling over. And we may never know the truth about what happened that day. I'm offended because of the insulting comments I've seen. They're not only insensitive but dismissive to the painful experience of others. I'm confused because I don't know why it's so hard to obey a policeman. You will not win. And I don't know why some policemen abuse their power. Power is a responsibility, not a weapon, to brandish in the Lord over the populace. I'm hopeless because I've lived long enough to expect things like this to continue to happen. I'm not surprised, and at some point my little children are going to inherit the weight of being a minority and all that it entails. I'm hopeful because I know that while we still have race issues in America, we enjoy a much different normal than those of our parents and grandparents. I see it in my personal relationships with teammates, friends, and mentors, and it's a beautiful thing. I'm encouraged because ultimately the problem is not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. Sin is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we are racist, prejudiced, and lie to cover up for our own sin. Sin is the reason we riot, loot, and burn. But I'm encouraged because God has provided the solution for sin through His Son, Jesus, and with it, a transformed heart and mind. One that's capable of looking past the outward and seeing what's truly important in every human being. The cure for Michael Brown, for Trevon Martin, for Tamir Rice, and Eric Garner tragedies is not education or exposure. It's the gospel. So finally, I'm encouraged because the gospel gives mankind hope. Is that what we're giving people at Christmas? Is that the hope that we communicate? Is that what we say? If you want to mature in your faith, have a spirit that longs, that persists, and trusts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that uh, we would learn through your prophet Habakkuk we would learn how to have that dialogue with you, to long to say, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And God, I pray that we would exemplify that spirit as we celebrate Christmas. In your son's name, amen. Well, here is the violence put forth for us. A plan that might not have made sense to the disciples then, but now makes sense to us as a church. This isn't a Presbyterian table or a Mayus Road table. It's for those that say, I need you, God. I persist in you. I long for you. So, if you pray that prayer, if that is in your heart, we'd ask you to come forward. What we do is we have grape juice, white grape juice on the outside and red wine in the middle. We have gluten-free wafers and regular bread here. You'll take it and then go back to your seat and then we'll all uh, partake together.
here's a little prayer preparation for us. If, you, if you're not ready, there's some prayers right here. Feel free to sit um, while um, others come forward. Um, this is a place where you can process. I hope this is a place you can process. You can talk about these things with us. Okay. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. O oh God, in the sending of your Son Jesus to be born of Mary, your word became flesh, and we have seen a new and radiant vision of your glory. In him we have been brought out of darkness into your marvelous light. Obedience to your command, we partake of bread and wine, rejoicing that through Jesus we have been reconciled to you and have experienced your peace. Amen. Well, those that are helping me serve, if you'd come forward, that'd be great. This side can come over here and that side over here. If you have children, we'd like to pray for them too and... body broken for you. Can I pray for you? Guys, God, thank you so much for um, Azalea. Um, this work. 